Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and four years ago, I was terrified of Saison's. Uh, really, I think it's uh, as a kid, I grew up near a bunch of farms, and the smell of a Saison instantly transports <laughs> me back to hot summer Saturdays, dirty boots, not getting the job done right, as my dad would remind me. And <laughs> I think, ironically, the style Saison was born of the cooler, less active months in French speaking Belgium. Um, I never would have known that as a kid. Um, but now I kind of relish those memories, and I love how a saison can transport me back to my childhood, which probably isn't the right way to look at it. Oh. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> it's happening. And I'm Harrison. And speaking of childhood, I've been, you know, after last week's episode, just trying to find ways to work donuts into everything from this <laughs> today's episode to my daily life. Now, I think that opened up a, another Pandora's box, but uh, failed today. But luckily, we still have tons of awesome beer to drink. And an article we're going to talk about today that kind of sent some uh, ripples through the craft beer world last week. So I'm going to see those ripples and raise the author a proverbial cannonball in a little bit and send some tsunami waves about. But but first, as a reminder, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untapped.com. Or look for it wherever you usually listen to podcasts. All right. Let's get to those beers first. We <laughs> Normally we'd have the ceremonial opening of the can, but today's can, as you may have seen on the, our Instagram post, uh, had some dirt on it for this beer number one that was glued to the can. So we had to get creative and open it with a weapon we found lying about. This beer can was literally <laughs> opened with a knife. It was. Um, also going back to my childhood days <laughs> of drinking. Uh, <laughs> Childhood days of drinking, yeah. yeah. Credit to Chandler for the photo. That was a beautiful use of a beat um, and a gorgeous can. Yep. Um, and we and got we it out. Actually did get to use the beat as well. That's so right. farm to table and now, now can to glass from, with yeah, a knife. With a knife, sure. It's all it's all a circle. But we're drinking first today Beats, Rhymes, and Life from Fontaflora which is a 6% Saison. Beats being spelled B-E-E-T. T-S, so it is, of course, brewed with local beats. And John has a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the to the best of my internet research um, and uh, one time visiting Fontaflora, <laughs> yeah. um, this one, uh, technically a Belgian-style saison, local barley, wheat, and rye. Um, the team at Fontaflora uh, literally live up to uh, the lore, right? Mm-hmm. The, that mm-hmm. kind of comes with a name. Um, I think I feel like most all of their brewing ingredients are harvested on a walk through the woods that <laughs> right. surround sure. their uh, original location in Morgantown. But the rumor is these are bull's blood beets from mm. uh, Bluebird Farm in the same town that Fanta and Flora comes from. And there's just something about the name bull's blood beet that uh, instantly just kind of makes it jump out at you. Yeah. I thought about pairing this with goat cheese, but mm. uh, Harrison wanted donuts, yeah. and here we are, empty-handed. <laughs> um, dry hopped with a blend of Cascade and Mount Hood hops, not your super trendy citra oh. hops or anything like that. Um, the expectations are 
earthy soil dirt flavors mm. um, with a little bit of citrus from the hops and some Belgian yeast. I'm really excited to jump into this one. Yeah. I hope this actually, instead of takes me back to the horse farm, this one I wanted to, I want to remember the first time you've had that beets and goat cheese salad, you right. know, that when you tried to impress someone mm-hmm. on a date. Sure. For, and a foreign exchange student, no doubt, or someone. Yeah. Exactly. Look at how cultured I am. <laughs> Uh, so cheers Harrison Uh, this is the first time I've ever drank this uh, celebrated beer Mm -hmm. holy cow oh my god (laughs) wow you taste the beets that's really funny that's wild huh so you'd think if I thought for sure it'd be like bright red or it's not it's looks like a saison it's like orangey it's orange and hazy thick as heck and nice kind of Mouthfeel, but it tastes like beets are in the middle of this beer. Miraculously. Wow. I'm a beet lover. Interesting. Um, also oh, yeah. like hip-hop, but mm-hmm. uh, the, beets, the beets in this beer are the one that I think wow. somewhere around 80% of all your white table sugar come from beets now, not sugar cane. Random, weird, useless fact. But good, no. For me, beets are, my wife loves beets. I could, to me, they just kind of taste like chewy dirt. There, I said it. I said it. Which isn't the worst thing. I won't say that you're terribly wrong. <laughs> Talking about childhood, I ate a lot of chewy dirt as a kid. Like, kind of like in between mud and dirt. That You got that sweet spot. Good, good mixture. <laughs> right. Spent all day there. Just burning down <laughs> anthills and kicking leaves. Hitting the dog. And I'm, I'm going to be a brewer someday. <laughs> just eating a little bit of kind of like almost mud. But anyway, but enough, enough beet shaming. This is, this is great because it tastes it, – I don't get the – I don't. I don't get dirty. I get like beet, beet saison, which is what it is. I get. I get zero dirt. It's like they've given you the sweet, crisp finish right. of the beet, and none of wild. the chewy dirt beginning. That is. You taste it though. You it jumps right out. Undeniably, you could have just handed me this and said, "Check this beer out," right. and I would. I like, am. Hey. I'm thinking of the first time I had that beet. Goat cheese salad, yeah. which is on almost every restaurant's menu five years ago. Mm-hmm. But it, um, oh my God, it's so like I, I taste the beat more than anything and Me it too. sticks with you. There are some other citrus notes in there for sure. It's, I'd love to taste the base Saison without the beets and do a side by side if that were ever possible. But, um, but this is like really, uh, excuse me, really good. It had a big old fluffy head when we opened it up and we freed it from its can prison with the kitchen knife right with kitchen knife over the sink um man i don't even know what to say i wonder how many and i have questions this always happens how many pounds per barrel and blah 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 blah, blah. i'm glad we know that they're uh bull's blood beats because i i feel like i've had them before but um i'll be kind of seek them out now and see six percent yeah it, it's a little okay it's open it up a little bit it's a little bit it's almost like the full, you're right, it's mostly sweet beet, but there is a little bit at the end of like kind of like an earthy note or something. This is a very unique beer. I can't believe how much the beet comes through. So a lot of times you use things like fruit, vegetables, not as much, but for like adjunct sugar and beer and really it just like boils out and you don't really taste the flavor of it. Like if you use maple syrup in, early in a beer in the boil or honey, things like that. Sometimes the flavor really disappears. Um, 
and you just start getting more sugar from a different source. But this is definitely flavorful. And you know, again, questions. I wonder if they rested it on a bunch of beets, if it was. It really just says, you know, wheat and rye from Riverbend Malt House, and they talked about the dry hop. But this is, I'd love to kind of been on the wall when they made this because it has tons of flavor. So this particular beer, um, I believe um, I, I'm doing zero research right now and I'm pulling from my foggy mind, but I'm, <laughs> I'm certain at some point this beer has been awarded at least to the World Beer Cup um, and understandably drinking it. The one question I have now as I go to Untapped is – did we perhaps inadvertently get a golden beet redux? Because right. when I I'm look at some of the check-in too. photos, right. uh, at least on draft, this beer does seem to pour much redder right. than what I'm looking but at I, here in front of me. I got a picture of someone who had a can, though. Let's see. Uh, on the 2nd of August, Jeff H. It looks exactly like our beer. I wonder if there were different – What's where's that can? Or are there different batches? Which is possible. It's also possible that I got another can that looks bright red. And then another picture where it's kind of coppery. It actually is kind of running the gamut here. Ours is definitely more golden. But I am seeing plenty of people can draft where it's very, very red. And I wonder if that's dropped off a bit or – oh, there's one from – Middle of June looks exact same as ours, too. So it could have been, I mean, I don't know much about, man, there are some pink ones. You're right. No, but there's another one in the middle of June that looks exactly like ours. So I wonder if it was different batches or, sure, right? I mean, they could have, God, there's so many variables. Oftentimes, it's even like where, like a beer will change, especially unfiltered stuff throughout the canning process. I mean, it may like clear up towards the end of the canning run more really red in the beginning with a lot of been really like if it's more dense in the like yeah and if it really yeah if you're canning earlier you get more red and if you're towards the end of the run you're getting kind of less and less because you can't really see that obviously in a bright tank it's not something you can look into there is a sight glass on the side of it but there's a whole nother episode talking about how bright tank is uh, actually (laughs) pretty impenetrable for light good thing which is good super important but yeah this is fascinating i'm going back further and further now in the pictures oh there's another one that's more gold this is is, uh, so while harrison is going down an untapped uh wormhole yeah what you'll discover i think is that you there's a lot of cans that look identical and you'll see a photo of a beer that looks orangish, which is the one that Harrison and I are looking at right now. And the same exact beer pouring a much more reddish in color. I can't Ooh. imagine this beer tasting any more beet like. It's such a beet. There is so much beet in this. Yeah, I'm curious. I imagine that's got to be either different batches of it um, or. Yeah, different or just kind of different parts of the canning run and kegging run as well, where you just kind of pull a little more of the color from the beer if it is more dense. This is what this is what happens when Harrison uh, when, when Harrison gets inquisitive. There's a bottle of it too, same exact color from December 2018, same color as ours. We had it out of a can. As of now, I only have questions. I have some educated guesses. It could be different. I wonder if we're just missing. 
it very well could have been. So that's the other thing. And actually, I don't know. Now I'm going to, I don't know much about beets, but obviously, like you said, they're golden beets. So and golden beets and, and, beets and traditional, much, much less bull's blood beets, right? Typically, when we think of beets, we do think of the reddish, beautiful color that they bring. Um, but golden beets are often used, in my experience, culinarily because you don't want to ruin your cutting board, your chef's jacket, right. and sometimes stain your diner's teeth. Yeah. So you'll use a golden beet because it provides the same flavor, uh, marginally the same flavor, with a much easier uh, with a much easier cleanup. Right. Um, I do this myself at home oftentimes because if you roast and chop 13 beets on your kitchen counter at some point you will be yelled at <laughs> by someone so so golden golden beets provide a, a workaround for that um i'm i'm left with more questions uh than answers but one definitive uh battle cry is that this beer is it tastes beautiful mm-hmm. it really does and the beet comes through the Straight through, it's undeniable. That's really cool to see a flavor like that show up. And another thing I think that's really cool is like I've had the pleasure of living in North Carolina for most of my craft beer journey. I call this stay home, uh, the same place that Fonta Flora does. And early on, I remember driving eight hours, maybe it was only six hours to get to get to the other side of the state to visit the tap room and enjoy this beer. And they weren't. I remember I'm, I got a growler of it. I was able to take it home. It wasn't like it wasn't incredibly difficult where you had to wait in line. Right. It was just they didn't do a lot of distribution because they were harvesting things from the town they lived in, and it was amazing. Fast forward, and about the same time, I see this beer show up on shelves here. where I I live on the other side of the state. It's in a bottle shop, Mm -hmm. and it's in uh, Boston, Mass, at the Tip Tap Room, which is uh, they have an amazing whiskey list at the Tip Tap Room, but also a great, great beer menu. Sure. Um, Great place to visit if you're in Boston, but I also see this beer in Maine, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's an awesome Allison's restaurant, Kenny Bunkport, Maine, which is an awesome spot, especially this time of year. They have some serious beers on tap as well from some heavy hitters. That's like a good spot. Um, but yeah, right. I, I love it. So even if you're not stationed uh, out in Western North Carolina, uh, one I think one good thing that I see from this brewery is that they're becoming there. They were involved in a beer festival, maybe in Estonia or in mm. um, huh. in in Sweden. I think I saw their their name on the list of breweries participating. So I think it's it's really cool that I think they've done a good job maintaining their identity. I'm drinking this beer that was sold through distribution, yep. and it tastes. It reminds me of the first time I had it in the tap room when it was redder. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't have anything, any complaints about this beer other than I wish I would have had another can. Right, I know. Now I'm just curious. But no, it's solid. It's, it's solid. It's, it's super unique, which is something It's nice to to try something that's just a little different, someone doing their own thing um, and, and you know, taking a risk there because obviously it could have turned out real weird. But nope, it's definitely unique. I I don't. I don't think I've had maybe one other beer where beets were part of it. There's probably been one or two, but I've never had a beer 
that tasted so much like the last time I remember drinking something that tasted this beaty right. was at, you know like at one of those juice cafes sure. where I oh, spent twelve dollars to feel better about my hangover. <laughs> That's it for about a minute, and then it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I want coffee and a exactly biscuit, right. but this. <laughs> This beer is doing an amazing job. It's not taking me back to the early childhood farm work <laughs> that I was subjected to, but um, but it, I mean it's just singing beats to me through and through. Sure. There's a I do find the citrus flavor mm-hmm. right around in the mm-hmm. middle point when I'm tasting this beer, and it, it almost like like salt makes everything taste better. Right. The citrus in this. Yes. Uh, makes the makes reminds me of the sweeter part of a beet. It's almost uh, Shakespeare-esque. It is, John. It's beautiful. It's great. It's working. The beer is working. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's inspiration flying around the room. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, so check it out on Tapped. Let us know if you had it. Let us know if you had one that was, you know, beet-colored and what are we talking about? Or if you have some insight into why ours is a little golden and others are not. It seems like time doesn't have much of a factor. I thought for sure it might get kind of gradually golder as the time went on, but I'm seeing it all the way back in March looking the same as ours does today. No, there's, there's, uh, uh, I won't be so vain as to assume that the, um, the guys and girls brewing for Fanta Flora are listening to this, but should you be? Yeah, hit us um, up. The ultimate. So there's the, the bottle shop that I would have purchased this beer from, uh, a friend of ours, Corey, who we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, is checking into the same beer with the same can, bought from the same bottle shop, and he's got a redder version. <laughs> uh, Sarah, team at Fanta Flora. If uh, if you have any insights to solve this uh, gradiental color scheme in this beautiful beet beer, uh, I will forever I will forever be grateful if you can finally set my mind at ease as to wondering what's happening here in the can. But beyond my complexity to solve this mystery by using Untapped and seeing what my friends are checking in and the pictures they take, beyond all of that. If you are fortunate enough to find this beer in your own area um, and you and you love beets, awesome. Mm-hmm. Even if you're on the fence about beets, right? Uh, I think this is a great example of what can be done to make a saison style incredibly interesting um, and bring you just as much of a story, right, in your in your palate. Bring, tell you just as much of a story about that beer that the dry dry hoptist. New England IPA can do with hops. I think right. this this beer does a great job. Yeah, this is great. It's rad. It's different. Digging on different. Digging it. All right. Whoo, whoo wee. We always keep doing this to ourselves, trying to have really cool beers, and then try to follow it up with even other different beers that are different in other exciting ways. Today is no different. This beer excites me just uh, just as it any whale ever has. Mm-hmm. I think I dare say that this one isn't even um, uh, pronounced enough to be a whale yet. Right. It comes from a brewery in Philadelphia in West Kensington. Fermentary Form is the name of the brewery, and this beer is is labeled simply Informal Number One. Now, what I know about fermentary form is that they're a small uh, artisan brewery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, West Kensington, which is 
not a pleasant area as Harrison can uh, kind of shed <laughs> some right. light on. We'll but their focus, <laughs> wood-aged beers fermented with their own mixed culture. So some blending, some aging. Yeah. Um, but um, th- this this beer I would never have a chance to drink if it wasn't for our friend Corey. Um, who he helps us, he works at Untapped, he travels with his wife, they've got their own project going um, with Brew Buds, and, and Corey showed up at, at work at the shop a couple of right. days ago, or maybe even a week ago, <laughs> and he was smiling and he was brandishing this beer and talking about how he didn't even know they existed, he just so happened to be in the area and saw some people waiting in line and pulled his phone out and found that they were, right. there was this really cool opportunity to get this beer, almost as if like the Holy Grail was on display at a yeah. food truck. Um, <laughs> so he came in and he asked if we'd ever heard of it and wanted to try it for the podcast. And one of the great perks of this job is that sometimes mm-hmm. people will do this. So yeah. a shout out and a thank you to Corey and, and Harrison while I pour this yes. out into glasses, Harrison's going to elaborate a little bit more about the the actual beer we're about to drink. Yeah, so from kind of the website and the description on uh, Untapped, which is the same as on the bottle, I believe, or at least on the website. This is basically the paraphrase there. Take on uh, saison de coupage, which is like a a practice of blending old barrel aged beer into younger saison to kind of mature it up a little bit grow up that grow up a little bit grow up there son it's your time to shine time to take the wheel whatever <laughs> um those beats the beats are getting me but it's um <laughs> but so for this version uh in formula number one they um brewed a really bitter seven percent farmhouse ale and then blended it 80 to 20 with a two-year-old uh barrel aged golden ale and then uh, re- reconditioned it uh, on uh, Caminera wine grapes for a few months. Second use wine grapes, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it comes in at 7% still. We have a bottle of it, as John mentioned. Um, and it uh, looks, this one looks like it almost has a slight red hue to it. Reddish brown, Reddish as, brown I'm, maybe, as I'm yeah. pouring it out. Mm-hmm. We did not get these beers right. confused. Super, but- they're bu- very bubbly, great carbonation. It's got a lot yeah, pouring it out, the whole the the walls of the glass, right? They all laced up yeah. with these tiny little bubbles as I'm as I'm pouring Ooh. this out. It's exciting. So yeah, so, so so obviously there's some, I guess technically some must in here. Some un, was unfermented wine that they, thanks to those great grapes, excuse me. Um, ooh, so let's get on in here, John, and see what we can find. Ooh, the nose. Hmm. Ah. Oh. I feel like such a. I, I won't often sniff my beer when I'm out in public, but when I'm drinking it with friends, I always um, do. I can't help myself. I gotta lead with the nose in most things. Wow. Mm-mm. There's something about. So I got tons of just like grape. Ooh. Wow. It's just very that's got me. I know, right? So there's some funk here. I wonder. Questions arise again. Clearly, there's some obviously non-beer yeast bugs in here in a good way. There's, there's a pretty sweet sour note to it. It kind of tastes like, man, oh man, how could I describe this as uh, 
like more of a, a like a grape meets Sour Patch Kids. Not that tart, um, but uh, hmm. Ooh, ooh! Hot I'm just I'm just having so much fun watching Harrison's face <laughs> as he processes this beer. I'm excited to keep opening it up. It's still like the bubbles just ripping out of this thing from the bottom of the glass. It's been in there since at least. January. What is, that's a 20. Did it have a bottle on date uh, on it? The, the cork came out, say, in 2018. Yeah, but they could have. Um, I don't see a bottled yeah, date. Too. Anyway. But, uh, you know, these guys so, don't seem, at least looking at this one bottle, my only experience with fermentary, uh, blendery and form, it doesn't seem like they're marketing for distribution. No, and that's also right. So let's talk about that. So John mentioned some insight into West Kensington, which is part of larger Kensington, obviously. You could guess by the name. I used to live there uh, back in the day, and you know, it's I went to my fair share of cool, hip concerts and abandoned buildings, and a lot of them were in West Kensington. And you sometimes would have to run home because you'd hear <laughs> you'd hear the gunshots. There's a big Steakums factory up there, so that's, that's how pretty that's cool. how. I don't want to familiar with the love Steakums, but yep. so inexpensive land <laughs> that Steakums can take advantage <laughs> of to pump out their meats. But uh, <laughs> but um, actually, one of the shows is right next to it. But yeah, but I de- I ran back one night from some show because we got out of there and some and we were like, oh, I guess someone's shooting fireworks off a couple blocks away. I'm like, not fireworks. Those aren't fireworks. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> what are you guys celebrating? Uh, exactly right. Time to leave. So I'm sure it's changed a little bit. That was easily ten years ago. Um, that city's changing like crazy. But from yeah, the way, way Corey described it and pictures I've seen and stuff, because this uh, yeah, this opened up way after I left. Uh, fermentary form did. Um, it was like an awesome spot, and and yeah, very kind of secretive. They put something up online on some social media post, but hey, we're gonna open up today. We got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Come on out, and they have it. And when it's gone, it's gone. So small operation, but. Um, really that's kind of what you want when you're dealing with these kinds of beers, at least to get started, it'd be really tough to have a, have a really big barrel aged beer operation and have it be good from the beginning. That's different for established breweries that are, have grown and have, you know, the kind of means to acquire tons of barrels and have someone dedicated or team people dedicated to the barrel program. But, um, if you don't have those kinds of resources, you kind of want to start small because this is definitely a labor of love, which we've talked about before, making these beers. take as it just, just Description describes you're sitting on a beer for two years, you're brewing another one, you're blending stuff, which is a arduous process. Um, lots of pumping and stopping and doing things all at the right time. <sighs> and then messing with wine grapes as well, which, again, I mean, you know, every time an adjunct sugar jumps in here, you're kind of like wondering, especially post fermentation, like is this thing just gonna we're gonna have a bunch of bottles popping on the floor? Are we gonna be right. is our barrels gonna be overflowing? Or like what's the there could be there are lots of possible downsides. So I'm tasting none right now. I can't and the bubbles are slowly starting to dissipate. This looks great though. Love natural another thing, side note, natural carbonation is the coolest. I wish that was and we right. talk about trends. Right. I wish that was Something people responded to, or like the kind of average consumer recognized. We used to bought, we used to keg condition beers a lot, and actually, almost every time we 
when I was out in Chamonix Creek when we released uh, something from our barrel program, we'd keg a bunch of it and all that would be keg conditioned as well. So we wouldn't force carbonate it. We would just from the same uh, bright tank we bottled from that had you know priming sugar in it that we would add, sanitize and add uh, for the bottles to actually carbonate themselves. We would just put in the keg and leave a little bit of headspace in the keg and just sit them aside you know, on the floor so they weren't cold. They were just in like ambient temperatures so that it could re-ferment in the keg as the bottles were re-fermenting as well. You, when you bottle condition something, you can't serve it that day. It's not going to be carbonated. You got, we would wait like a couple weeks uh, before we serve those beers or release those beers. Same with the kegs. But it's the mouthfeel is somewhere in between like your classic carbonated with CO2 or beer gas these days and like a nitro tap that's like a milkshake almost. It's in between there where it's really light and the, the kind of bigger bubbles, if you will, on your tongue and, and just adds a, a smoothness, which of course is going to do things to the flavor um, that, you know, whether it was forest carbonated or nitrogen, carb, you know, nit- nitroed up would uh, present itself differently. So, hmm. And one of the reasons why I think Harrison is is the best oh, person man. to do this podcast <laughs> with is because we barely we barely even drank some of this beer, <laughs> and he's already given me more knowledge about carbonation and where uh, that can come from, sure. and and his insights into a world where everybody is doing natural fermenta- fermenting. Yeah, right. I'd like, to, I'd love to see that. There's and and if I asked him, I'm not going to, but if Maybe I asked him to elaborate <laughs> on the taste differences between forced carbonating <clears throat> and natural carbonating, mm-hmm. we could go on and we could talk. But I think the Ooh. important uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> um, if you're interested, right. let him know because uh, I'm sure he'd love to elaborate more. It's all subjective, right? This is opinions mm-hmm. that we're sure. talking about most of the time with beer. Um, but this the, the, to draw the attention back to this particular yes. beer, I think the sad story about this is – I mean, if you don't have a friend that lives right. not even just in Philadelphia, but mm-hmm. that can visit this particular section of Philadelphia, this is right. this is uh, another trend in brewing, right? Like most of most people aren't going to have a chance. I wouldn't have even known this beer existed if Corey didn't tell right. me about his trip to Philadelphia. Right, um, and there's yeah. you know there's something exciting, but also kind of tragic about that. You right. know, is it? Uh, at the end of the day, I think it's cool that uh, beers can be that local. But in a world where mm-hmm. most of us want to taste everything, right? You know, where, where does that? Where, where do these guys come into play? Right. They're, it's interesting. You're, yes, exactly right. It's it's all kind of. It reminds me of the for some reason reminds me of the um, you know like the traveling circuses or the traveling shows the kind of so like if you were if you heard from like your friend of a friend that like you know the barking yak woman was in buffalo last week and i i or i saw her last summer and you're you never were in buffalo and that show's closed down and you missed it like all you have is your you know cousin joey's story about how impressive the barking yak woman was and they may two years later pick the show up again, but it might be a different barking yak woman, and then you never get to experience what Joey did. So that kind of it's called we call it in history, you call it the 
the cornucopia of knowledge, what actually gets captured and written down, remembered, and what doesn't. And most things don't. Now, we're lucky that we have things like Untapped, where if Untapped didn't exist and we lived where we live, we probably wouldn't even know about this beer. Where would that be? Why would we look in Philadelphia for something like this? Why would we think to find something like this out? But because of people like Corey and because we can then easily look up Untapped and see, oh, really cool, look who checked this in or look what this beer is, we're able to grab a lot of knowledge that if there wasn't a social media site like Untapped, it would just be gone. We'd just be hearing about it maybe someday from someone who was up in Philadelphia. And, oh, I had a beer like this one we're having tonight from these guys at, you know, Fermentary Forum. And, but you just have the story. And now, you know, we have so much more because of this awesome database. And, and you know, now the, the legend of the barking yak woman, so to speak, can live on forever. But that's, <laughs> but that's, but you know, it's, and that's, but at the same time, it reminded me of the traveling kind of sideshow because each town has this. Like you could, not this exact brewery, obviously, but there are. So if you are like, oh, I want to taste their tasting, go, you can go on a tab and look at similar beers. Though a lot of them will be from, other you know from other places that are hard to get to but you know look at the style look at what they're using look up similar stuff on untabbed and see if there's one near you obviously as we covered in you know previous episodes you're dealing with wild yeast and it's like that it's tough to step in the same river twice but there could be something similar similar experience out there and now you kind of know to look for it because we found this and we found this because of again Corey being awesome and then untapped kind of shedding some more light on what it is we actually have here today in another um, in, in, in another terrible transition, um, as Harrison's elaborating and being very poetic about this beer, and, mm. and uh, when, when he's talking about that, I remember right Eddie Topper, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, Eddie Topper is a brand and a movement and a style, and there's there's so many things that in, that make Eddie Topper more than just a simple fermented beer, right? But at the end of the day, because of the trend that that inspired, you're almost better off going to your local right. brewer That's and tasting their own right. variant right. of of what they think sure. Hetty Topper is, or or, or their, you know, not even Hetty Topper at this point. It's technically right. a, a New England IPA right. or yep. style, and yep. and yep. I almost I, I think no matter the lore that surrounds a beer. If you can get it, one thing that I think Fanta Flora kind of instilled in me is that if you can get it locally, you know, it, it'll probably taste better than all the buzz that surrounds that right. uh, that Westy sure. Twelve or that sure. magical, you know, maybe not Westy Twelve. They're pretty unique, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. right, right. But at the end right. of the day, yeah. I think what I what I love about un, what Untapped it, it shows me is that. You know, my local brewery makes a beer, and it's the greatest thing in the world. And I love seeing what my what of my friends have had that beer. Um, and if they haven't, you know, what have they drank similarly to that? And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think it's fair to assume that we can all have the same beer. Right. But maybe we can yeah, all, we, you know, I'm I make my tacos with fish, and you make your tacos with chicken. And at right. the end of the day, we're, we're happy. <laughs> we're, we're having tacos. Right? Right, and I don't make my tacos with fish. I don't, but, uh, but. <laughs> I do. But um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That brings up another an interesting the way you describe that. It's almost as if Hetty Topper started this long game of telephone, of which every other brewery <laughs> tried to you know duplicate it, and here we are with a million New England style IPAs. But you're right. The point 
is well taken that you're if you go grab a heady topper and it's nine months old but you got it that's not what heady that's not what alchemist wants you to taste and that's not what heady heady topper tastes like and you would be better off going down the street and grabbing a new England ipa from your local brewery because they're at that point it's gonna be a better representation of uh yeah, that that uh, that game of telephone they've uh, been playing for many moons now, which we're going to talk about more today, of course. Yeah, but, uh, and, <laughs> anyway, and, and going and in uh, way off the rails here, these sure. beers are good, As and always. they're beers, and this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to come back to informal number one because in tasting this, uh, it, it's 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 this is a awesome beer. Um, Harrison, what do you get? Um, I, I almost like apple juice, mm-hmm. apple su- juice, apple cider, like a drunken apple cidery kind of thing happening here. With uh, there's almost like uh, like the the bitter. I get bitterness. I don't know if it's from the grape peels or the hops they used or what, but there's like a little bit of a bitterness at the end. But yeah, it's like big old apple cider is what I'm getting. Like like unfiltered from the orchard apple cider. And it, it, when you mentioned uh, earlier, so uh, a Carmenier mm-hmm. grape, originally a, a French grape, as maybe <laughs> I'm sure France would tell you, they all, they are all, <laughs> all our grapes. grapes. Are French grapes, yeah. Um, when, I, when I first saw that, I thought initially of uh, Chile or Chile. Mm. Um, that's, I think, where where this grape thrives the most oh, right now. Okay. I, I used to sell beer primarily, right. but we also sold wines. And while I'll never be a wine expert, there are sometimes some some lines to be drawn. If, if you sure. if, if you spend your days making wine and I spend my days making beer, we both have similar struggles. And sometimes I think it's really cool when the two come together. And I, I won't be so vain as to say that I can taste the the, the Chilean right. grapes right. Or, or that these are Italian right. Carmenere grapes, uh, but... But at the end of the day, I think it's really cool to see uh, the two coming together. Sure. And uh, and I, I sometimes often wish that I paid more attention to wine and mm. wine grapes, mm. you know. But um, but uh, the one of the cool things that that beer has taught me is that nobody knows anything and and everybody can make their own wheat beer just a little bit differently. And I'm happy to taste them all. Um, But certainly uh, the fact that they attributed some of, they cellared this or aged it and it was uh, and it was a Carmenere grape that had gotten attached to this particular Mm -hmm. um, beer. If there's, if there's a win there for Mm. all of us, it's that maybe the next time you're trying to bring a bottle of wine for your friend's party and it's, we got to drink wine for this one. Like look, (laughs) go, go in, go and look in the Chilean section, find a, it'll, it it could be a Carmenere wine or just a blend that has Carmenere grapes. That's right. And especially if you've had this beer, you know, now we're starting to have some mutual friends, right? We're drinking yeah. wine, but it's a Carmenere, and I had that beer once that was tied to it. Sure. Um, and just kind of, you know, be sometimes, uh, you know, don't drink wine if you hate it. Um, but <laughs> but if you're thinking about it, sometimes you can just having that that 
acquaintance, you know, that right. you know, oh, dogfish head used Syrah grapes right. and that beer one. So now I can drink yeah. the actual wine and, and kind of out. meet in the middle. Yeah, I hear you there. I love wine too. I used to drink a lot of wine in, uh, in college. I had a wine rack and everything. Wow. I always had it stocked. I was a pretty popular guy with a lot of the dudes who were dating, dating other you know women around campus. Like, hey, you got a extra wine tonight? I got a date. Thing. Yeah, God, just get me one some other time. But I was always had to like, always made sure to have a couple in there for myself. I drink a lot of wine in college, a lot of beer too, obviously. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it's um, and actually that taught me drinking wine taught me a lot about how to appreciate drinking beer how to kind of break down flavors and be like, well, this is very, there was a wine called Funky Llama. It was like three bucks a bottle and it was all, and it was, they all kind of tasted like the dirt of wherever the, those grapes were grown. <laughs> and, but it was great. It was like, it was like, it was like, whoa, this is very earthy and fun. And you felt like, you know, if I put on a button down shirt tonight. I'm going to drink some Funky Llama and have some grocery store sushi. And tonight's mine. Tonight's, tonight's, tonight's I own tonight. And, uh, you know, go out there and conquer the world. But, um, but, but yeah, drinking wine uh, definitely taught me a lot about just flavors and what can exist in uh, in some of these adult beverages, and certainly translates to beer, absolutely, and vice versa. Yeah, I see the similarities all the time, especially in beers like this, the, the wild ones. I mean, it's it's the natural kind of that you hear about all the time. Is if you don't like beer, try a, this wild ale. You might like might like that for whatever reason. If you've made it to this point where you're um, where you're drinking beer and you're listening to a podcast mm-hmm. about drinking beer and you're logging them on an app about drinking beer. Yep. Um, Congratulations. Don't, don't ever be afraid <laughs> to go to someone's house or party or restaurant. And if you don't know anything about wine on the wine list, I mean, if if you can determine the difference between an IPA and a and a pale ale and a stout. So that the you know the the house that you're going to that only has wine or the restaurant that you're going right. to that only has wine you know let them do the let them do you the favor of sharing some of their love for their wine and, mm. and learn a little bit about about that as well because right. at the end of the day the two are maybe not even good cousins but still you can learn a little bit of you can learn a little bit about the flavor right. profiles and, and lend your knowledge sure. of beer yeah to being confident uh, about learning uh, about wine as well. That's right. You learn a little bit about wine, you learn a little bit about yourself, John. <laughs> every, <laughs> that's, every, that's right. Aren't they all? Big Bill Shakespeare said that. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get through this beer in one big gulp. That's fine. Um, like the beet beer did, but I believe that, uh, now, now's the time where I often actually, usually now's the time where I'm going to transition. Sometimes we'll start talking about the glassware we're using, but, um, at this stage, uh, on this particular episode 57, yeah. I'm going to still remind everyone that sure. you can always use the code podcast at the untapped store and they'll give you 20% off of oh. your hats. You'll give you 20% <laughs> off of gifts. Um, there are some really cool hats on there. I think they just got them back in stock. Oh, good. It's worried. Um, so the, the podcast Code is always going to give you 20% off of any merchandise you buy from the store. But Absolutely. 
One thing that's uh, kind of cool is, you know, we work at Untapped. Harrison and I use Untapped and mm-hmm. made some great friends and, and hosting the podcast. Now I've got a couple of more friends. And this yep. is great because now it's really cool to see what all you guys and girls are drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so at Untapped, there's been two people that uh, both Harrison and I have worked with for years now. Yeah. And uh, the two of them, Brandon and Jeremy, they're way more, we'll say, behind the scenes. Sure. Um, I can remember the first time I had a beer with both of them. Um, when they were, they're <laughs> two very different stories. Yeah. Um, but uh, both Brandon and Jeremy, they're doing a uh, webinar with GoDaddy. Yeah. And, you know, not all of us own our breweries that we drink our beer from and not all of us own the bars that we drink our beer from but Mm -hmm. if you do or you ever think about uh opening a brewery or a bar uh brandon and jeremy are doing a webinar on uh on online with godaddy and it's uh, we're going to link to it in the show notes but it's really cool they're they're two guys that are incredibly talented and hardworking. Um, I won't call them smart because they'll never let me live it down, but, I mean, these guys Mm -hmm. are amazing. And essentially, so instead of talking about an advertisement from Untapped, uh, I just want to say that if you are interested in learning about the ways that Untapped tries to Mm -hmm. connect businesses with customers through the use of technology Um, we're going to link a webinar in the notes of this podcast and it's going to be two of our own talking about what they do best and it's uh, it's actually i think it's going to be a pretty cool listen even if you don't want to open a restaurant Mm -hmm. um give them a shot check the link out in the notes give them a listen you'll hear two um, two of the guys that generally stay way behind the scenes talking about uh, ways to use untapped for marketing and some of the things they've done in the past as well. Yeah, I look behind the curtain a little bit, get, get a, some insight there. It'd be a very, uh, I'm sure, very interesting and uh, showing some, some of the, the goods that we have here at Untapped Off. I wish that was fun to hear. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, John. We do have an update from the Seven Cities tour. An exciting one indeed. Really cool stuff. I know, right? As a quick update, so this August 2019, which we are almost uh, through, uh, we're doing, we're kind of doing the, I guess, the competition for the Seven Cities tour. Did one last year where Greg Vol, the founder of uh, one of the founders of Untapped, he um, you know traveled around to the seven cities that had the most beer checked in at verified venues. Um, I think it was it last September as well or last August? Was it? Do you remember? All the days are one. Sure, now, great, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. Exactly, Bill Shakespeare again. Bill, everybody. So the seven cities in ten days because Greg did it in seven seven cities in seven days last year, and he said that was. Uh, a little difficult, but he's um, going around again. So you have, but you guys all control where he stops and you control it by going to Verahavenies and buying some beers and check them into Untapped. And we have a leaderboard up. If you go to untapped.com backslash seven city tour or find it through our blog, you can look at the top cities. And as of today, the 22nd of August, when we're recording this, um, the top, top cities are Denver, uh, Milwaukee, 
Richmond, which is in third place and closely. Richmond, behind. Virginia? Correct. Richmond, well, that's Virginia. Really cool. That's right. A lot of good beer, but know, right? sure. that's cool. And that was, I guess that was funny. I read, and yeah, I guess apparently Richmond and Richmond City were two different things in Untapped. We didn't realize that and had to merge them. And so now Richmond jumped into the top. So that was exciting to read that the other day. Raleigh, North Carolina, fourth. Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., coming in at six. And San Diego at seven with Asheville right behind it. At eight, and then Decorah, Iowa, uh, at nine, right behind that, which was pretty fun. That was up, I think, in the top seven a couple of days ago, and really because of like toppling Goliath, which is you know located there, released uh, I think with Morning Delight, and just like that alone set them into one of the top ten untapped markets for verified menu check-ins, which is pretty cool. So shows kind of just how powerful this community is, and how and how awesome toppling Goliath is a single event catapults you to you know national recognition when it comes to what we're looking at here every day so wanted to talk about it today because there's still time it's it's you know there's a big weekend coming up check in now get your city on the map if you're fighting in one of those places that are kind of right on the cusp now's the time go to your you know favorite verify menu check in some beers and so great and come meet greg because he is a funny dude greg's awesome he really is and you know ask him about his bathrobe please do yes if you haven't (laughs) yeah if you haven't yeah, check. Ask about his bathrobe collection and how he's releasing really a, a bathrobe line for for men um, in the future. But uh, yeah, he's he's a funny dude. So right now again, Denver, Milwaukee, Richmond, right at the top, but then Raleigh, Pittsburgh, DC, San Diego, right behind him, and Asheville, Decor, and Grand Rapids, home to founders, um, among other great spots. Uh, you know, right uh, right there too. And I wonder if there's a trying to think off the top of my head if they're going to release something between now and the end of the month that may just catapult them. Uh, underground, I think underground, underground Mountain, the Sumatra that they did in yep. Middle Age, that's yep. coming. If it's out or it's out soon. I think they were doing a badge for it this uh, year. Right. Uh, so that may, so again, there's time left. Go ahead and check in. This may be totally different by the time you listen to this anyway. But, um, but you know, it'd be cool to meet Greg and, and it's one of the many fun things that happened here to untap the Seven Cities tour that uh, you know really is controlled by the users. You guys, you guys, you guys are run the show. It's one of my when we first kind of were were sitting down trying to think about how we could do this, and you know, and, and Greg sometimes elusive, sometimes <laughs> incredibly social. Uh, one of the uh, honestly one of the hardest working and, and nicest people I've ever met. You know, I was I was on I was excited the first time he knew my name. Right. Um, the, but the fact that you know this is going to be something where where we're going to be untapped's going to be hosting an event at a bar mm-hmm. just based on the amount of beers that get checked in there yeah um, and then Greg's going to show up and it, I remember when we came in I was coming into work and everybody was talking about you know wait w- wait where is this place you know this uh, this toppling Goliath release was able to instantly change they were decora was number three for a minute wow. when the morning delight event was happening uh, which is also a yeah. really good beer yeah. i saw a couple of guys and girls checking in there and sure. boasting about the beer yeah. and bringing it home i think it, you got to bring home two bottles i think it was Ooh, but nice 
Um, but that's 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 really cool. Um, I believe this year it's still limited to uh, North America, but I'm I'm pretty sure yes. next year Greg's oh, going to yeah. finally have to go overseas, and I will be begging oh, yeah. to follow. Right. So keep tell your friends about this podcast so it can become huge, so we can be live casting from Amsterdam on the streets. That will be the last time Harrison's <laughs> married. I'll <laughs> no, just disappear. Just disappear into the wilds of Netherlands. Still drinking. Exactly just, right. <laughs> Just living on some river somewhere in a boat. Isn't that what people, not a boat, isn't a houseboat? Just, yeah. Any boat. I'm, S- I'm, I'm sure, make. I'm sure that you could. Um, <laughs> Rotterdam, sure. Amsterdam. Amsterdam, sure. um, when, you know, three years ago, it was, it was amazing that we were seeing so many check ins from overseas. Right. And now, you know, it's Amsterdam, it's it's Philadelphia, Amsterdam, Chicago, New yep. York, the the uh, London. There's um, there's sometimes some some cities, some areas of the world where you'll see a huge spike in check-ins. Yeah. You know, in uh, in Tokyo, Hanoi. Sure. Um, it's always amazing to see yeah. where you guys and girls are, are yeah. where where you where you're checking in your beers. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's wild to see. I love it. Copenhagen's one I love enjoying enjoy talking to people out there. Helsinki's got a great thing going on right now. Yep. You know, so I know. So our list, Greg. If Greg wants to know where we want to go, we got a nice little list here of uh, spots we want to check out and cities we want to go to, houseboats we want to sleep on. But that's for you know that's for next year, 2020. We'll, we'll conquer it then. All right, cool. And we got a, a nice beer article for you guys this week as well. John, uh, yeah, what do we got brewing? <laughs> I, I, I love the intro, Harrison. <laughs> um, this one, so Harrison and I are often just kind of like thumbing through the internet, trying to keep up with things as industry changes every 10 minutes. Um, but I stumbled across one and, and Harrison and I read through it and it's a great, I think it's a great opinion article. Um, published mm-hmm. by growlermag.com. We'll put a link to the actual article, but it was it's an opinion article. It comes from Simon Nielsen, who was the head brewer for Central Waters for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And the it was the headline of the article that, of course, got me to click right away, right? Why is craft beer dying? Oh, no. Right. <laughs> Um, and here I am, uh, you know, we drink beers, we talk about them. Um, so, okay, what's the opinion on this? And, you know, we kind of break it down in my initial thought process on this. And I kind of agree with Simon to an extent, mm-hmm. right? Where he's talking about in the early days, you had uh, Sierra Nevada, Ken's building this, not even brand at this stage, he's building an idea of how beer can be different. And then it's kind of elaborated on more, you know, your breweries and your chronologicalness might be different based on where you live. Um, But then you got Sam and Dogfish Head taking some of the success that Sierra is pushing and they come out with Dogfish Head and this brewery is introducing even further tweaks on ideas and beers that are a little bit, you know, beyond Ryan Henskebo. And uh, the the story goes that Sam and Dogfish Head were, you know, it wasn't a profitable company. It's not like today where you can open up a brewery, double dry hop a beer, and right. you can sell some cans pretty easily. I know it's not that simple, but mm-hmm. the 
Um, I mean, you have these breweries that are now huge. They're influential. Um, you got Dogfish Head is actually running back to back to back untapped badges that yes. are encouraging people to be physically active. Right? They're 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 using their brewery and a beer platform to promote people to think differently about beer. Sierra Nevada is doing the same thing. Um, there's a badge that Sierra Nevada is publishing on the Untapped app right now. Harrison knows the name of it better than her. <laughs> Hazy Pelveza. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hazy Pelveza, just further promoting you know the, the brand that they are. So these guys not only created, but I think uh, still try and influence where they want, uh, where they want their brand to go. Sure. And then why is craft beer dying is, you know, you have, I don't know how many TTB licenses are going to get approved this year, but yeah. you st- there's craft breweries popping up everywhere. Great time to be a drinker. Sure. But the trend, right? Everybody wants a double dry hopped, hazy, myself included. New England IPA, I'm excited. Uh, Berliner with fruit in it, I'm excited. Um, and then the problem, I think, becomes that, you know, yeah, you want to make money as a brewery, as any business, you should be driven to make some sort of profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you chase the dollar? Do you double dry hop just like all the others? Are you, do you, are you chasing that trend? And then therefore you're not innovating as much anymore. Even if you put, you know, uh, strawberry in yours and they put mango in theirs and there's, there's differences. I'm not trying to take away from the craft of this, but the uh, I think the onus then becomes who is now innovating, who's pushing craft to the next level. And I'm excited to hear mm-hmm. Harrison kind of elaborate even further on this because there is no right or wrong. But uh, but I do agree that, you know, when viewed from that lens, we've got a lot of breweries that are just kind of content to be or make the same flagship juicy beers. And, and will that cause uh, the bubble to become less exciting? Right, yeah. I mean, Simon is pretty clear when he kind of concludes this article, which is a great read, and like John said, we'll link it um, uh, in the show notes for the the cast. But um, he really kind of puts the blame, if you will, for this sameness, this loss of originality that he is seeing where they're, you know, they're double dry hop beers everywhere, and that's kind of what is seen to be driving the market and it is right now on the brewers kind of uh, that's where he you know he says don't blame the millennials and the market and the consumer you know it seems in his eyes that the brewer the brewers themselves are kind of chasing trends like john mentioned but he makes a good point that anytime you try and chase something that is trending you're kind of by definition riding the back end of that wave um now I, We've talked about this many times. I don't think the this whole Newland IPA thing has peaked, so maybe there's still some waves to be ridden. Uh, but he, you know, he offers up some good uh, insights, and, and I think he takes a really good snapshot of what is happening right now, where there is so many of this same beer. And his kind of one of the bigger quotes, or the more quotes that jumped out from the the article, is that uh, as Simon says uh, to me, uh, that the loss of originality is what's killing the heart of our movement. Wherever the artist gone, wherever the brewers has something to say gone, which is basically what you know John was mentioning. Where like even as like founders is a great example. They have an awesome story where they, you know, when they first started, no one was really buying their beer. They were barely making it. They were going to file for bankruptcy, and then they decided to um, make a beer that they wanted and try to not instead of trying to you know 
guest trends and things like that um, and listen to marketing people and other outside consultants saying you should do this or that. They made Dirty Bastard and that beer like just blew up and put them on the map. Yep. And now they're founders and, you know, that they kind of doing what they wanted to do that was different than maybe where the market was gave them the freedom they have today to make any beer they want and have, you know, everybody gobble it up. So, um, and that's, and again, Dogfish had same story. They took tons of risks early. I mean, even Sierra Nevada's pale ale, like there weren't beers that were that hoppy in, in the world. <laughs> that time, True. you know, they were that bitter and that had that, you know, that you know, you know whole flower hops in it. So um, there, are, there are plenty of stories. I've even heard them from Ken talking about, you know, like seeing people drink them in New York City in the 80s and then being like, what is this? Like, this is, this is all wrong. And he had his champions early all over, you know, bars that would put his beer up and now they're here in Nevada. So he's kind of doing this comparison between, you know, the, the forefathers of craft beer and how they really all had to take a risk and... And once they did what they wanted to do, uh, th- th- things started to take off. Not that quickly. I mean, again, it still takes some time to find your market. But when you do something different, interesting, it uh, you know it can draw a crowd and get you excited. You're a disruptor in the market, and uh, that attracts a lot of attention. Now it seems like there is no there. It's hard to be a disruptor. You can't. You can only dry hop things so many times True. before. <laughs> People are just, you know, going to kind of check out. And so he's probably right in that we are like, we are like right there. I, like I really don't want to have a, a quintuple dry hopped, quintuple dry hopped beer. I don't need that I've, in I've my seen, life. I've seen the quadruples. <laughs> right. We I don't, don't think it's sustainable. I don't think But it is, it. I think, Ooh. one one side of this that I can, uh, that I can relate with, you know, there's, we'll just arbitrarily spit a number out here. There's a thousand more breweries in the country now than there were at the time where you were an innovative craft brewer. And it was, it was a mysterious product that nobody wanted. Um, and now it's, you know, you're, you're a brewery, you open up a brewery, you've got at least one other brewery competing with you 10 or 20 miles mm-hmm. away. And I mean, just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about using Norwegian yeast to make right. different styles of beer. Right. It, it would be, I'm glad that I'm not a brewer in this environment because <laughs> as creative as I'd like to think I am, aside from like dry hopping with Fruit Loops, I'm right. out of new ideas. Which will happen. Um, I know, right? Yeah, right. Where do you go next? And I mentioned earlier in this episode, I'd love for, you know, there be other trends like, you know, bottle keg conditioning stuff, like focus on the beer, focus on kind of look inward, that sort of thing. I don't know if there's ever going to be like a, a next style explosion like there are for you know IPAs right now. Don't know what that is. What I think will happen though is that as the kind of average craft beer consumer matures, you're going to see just a lot of um, the, like segmentation people kind of this, you know, you, maybe, yeah, you started loving IPAs like everybody did, but then you discover bitters or German beers or Saisons or stuff, something that you like a little bit more than that and start to find breweries that, you know, do those things. And um, so if you're a brewery that kind of makes your name on, on being a New England style IPA producer, maybe have a couple more tricks up your sleeve because uh, you're going to need to eventually 
you know, kind of provide a, a portfolio of beers. Um, if you've made your name on just one thing, I don't know how sustainable that is either, but I, I'm not a, I don't have a crystal ball to look into and tell you what's going to happen next for me, you know, and if we're, I think a lot of consumers like the variety, but it's, but you know, there is like a draw to the IPA, especially with all these new hops that come out. It's like, whenever I think I'm IPA'd out, I'll hear about a new hop that's in something and I'll be like, well, I got to try that. And it just sucks me right back in. (laughs) So maybe as long as they keep making different hop varietals, there, there is, it'll just keep going because these beers are, it's, I think we'd we'd all be still using an iPhone four if the five didn't come out, and then the six, and the seven, and the right. eights, and you're always trying right, to keep right, up. Right. Uh, Apple does a great job of selling you the same thing every year, a little <laughs> bit better. Uh, hop manufacturers are likely aware of this, and everybody has a vested interest in you know in selling that beer. I um I, I'm familiar. There's a brewery in North Carolina called Red Oak that make they're mm-hmm. very very traditional German it. style brewery. I, I had the pleasure it. of uh, speaking with uh, a gentleman at uh, Gunpowder Falls Brewing out in Pennsylvania, and incredibly similar. And and you know we kind of had the had the. I had the opportunity to speak with him about some of the challenges he faces competing mm-hmm. with right. local breweries. They're kicking out a brand new IPA every right. two weeks, and that's exciting if you're a consumer. Mm-hmm. It's new. It's exciting. You haven't had it before. Um, but I think some of the onus as well is just on, you know, if that's your, if you are a traditional German-style brewery and you make a good product and you're proud of it, sell that. Uh, right. Yes, the trend is you know, brand new hops, brand new IPA. It's easy to it's easy to be creative with that style. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain joy once you've gotten that palate fatigue that an IPA will give you out over time. Right. Um, you know, of experiencing Oktoberfest is coming up. Have right. a Marzen. Um, you know, try a proper Pilsner and maybe you didn't like it when you were first getting into beers, but maybe now those crisp Saz hops, like right. uh, it's a it's something it's a different experience and you can have that just as simply as, as visiting a brewery of a different style or trying a lot of breweries are kicking out lagers now uh, mm-hmm. the white claw craze became, <laughs> i mean that was right. a, that was anheuser-busch's number one selling product in the midwest this year i think right. like wow. it i don't i don't see seltzers as a trend right. um but i think there's other ways to be innovative and at the end of the day it, the i think it's the consumers that drive you know the consumers are the ones that are spending the money a smart businessman is going to make them happy, mm-hmm. but a, a challenging, an artful, somebody that has a message to give is going to stick with that. Um, right. I think that's kind of that's there is no right or wrong again, but that's the opinion piece. Is uh, you know where do we go from here? Is there is there is there something more to be done, or can we just keep can we just keep drinking what's on the table? Right. I'm fine with that. Right, right. I know. Yeah, again, we're always looking at it. I, you know, I'd be curious to see what happens. But if I was given advice, I'd say diversify your portfolio. If you're a brewery, have a bunch of options. Even for like the tap room experience, if I go there and you have eight IPAs on, I'm going to taste the first three, and then I am not tasting anything anymore. So you can't you? <laughs> right. So right. Exactly. So even in the in the short term, it's good to have a bunch of options. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know the timeline. I don't know when it all shake out and. But I do think that, you know, it still holds true that if you got something cool and you're doing it a little bit different, your audience will find you. It may take some time. And really, that is, if New England IPAs are keeping the lights on, but your passion is 
awesome saisons, then cool. Keep making both those things. And one day you may discover that you're selling more saisons than IPAs and you don't need to make as many of them anymore. And I feel like a lot of breweries that I'm not going to name them, but fair, like smaller, not even like not even regional breweries, just local breweries that maybe do can releases and are on tap a couple other places outside their tap room that I know personally. I feel like a lot of them are in that boat where they have their passion and it might not be doing IPAs, but they know that they can put that in a can and sell out of it and that'll fund the stuff they really love. And one day, you know, it may flip to uh, something else. But So true. Yeah, it used to be your Blondale that paid the bills. And then you made the fun beers that you liked and sold those at the taproom. Right. Right. That, yeah, that hasn't changed. But uh, – but yes, but we're definitely at an interesting point right now. We're at uh, somewhere we've never been um, in terms of number of breweries and people interested in different beers. So obviously that's going to, you know, it'll probably uh, keep keep going. That boulder keep rolling down the mountain a little longer than uh, maybe it should. But uh, but anyway, I'm enjoying the ride. Uh, as I sit here thinking about the, the Boddingtons, I'm going to probably go drink after this and – <laughs> and, and enjoy the ride out through the weekend. Um, although who knows what will happen out there in, uh, in the world today. But this was a really cool article. You guys should check it out. Definitely got us thing. And I think it's a great snapshot of now and would love to, yeah, as we kind of all do, revisit this stuff, you know, periodically and see see where we are. If it's, if it's still this the same two years from now or not. But we'll be there kind of following along every step of the way. Yeah, definitely. And and of course, if you have interjections or points, um, you know, this is an opinion article. We'd welcome your opinion as well. Um, you know, we're posting about the episode releases on untapped social media. Um, tag tag something in there. Those all get uh, I, I, I promise I will not respond to everyone, <laughs> but I do read everyone. Yeah. And Harrison and That's I, why. we use that feedback to try and determine the direction of the next episode every time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. But let's yeah check this thing out. Let us know. Tag us. Tweet us. Whatever you want to do, social media wise, to us. Yeah, it seems right. It's just right. Where <laughs> sure, sure. It's um, <laughs> it's that time of the show where we're going to let you get on to the rest of your days, guys and girls. But thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, as always, thanks for your feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, the show notes for this episode are going to be available at podcast.untap.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll translate to wherever you listen to your podcast. So if you want to read simon's article or check out some badge links we'll make sure those are in there for you Absolutely. any questions any feedback hit untapped on social media uh join the drinking socially facebook group great feedback in there as well um otherwise i guess we will yeah yeah see you in two weeks sounds good guys cheers cheers